It's game to mind the rally faves. May all my squads deploy. While woods and streams, crags, hills, and gray, we'll all provide TM. We'll all provide TM. We'll all provide our troops with TM. The twelve has occurred, our wind change roll. So God will now blow through. While smoke and white phosphorus will dissipate now, FFMO will be in play. FFMO will be in play. FFMO, that's minus two, will be in play. Snakes has been rolled on a moral track roll. And A shall be resolved. I'm hoping I next roll will be a five or six. Fanatic and a hero too. Fanatic and a hero too. Fanatic and a hero too. Welcome to the one and only podcast about the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Lida. Hmm. We are the two half squads. I'm Dave. Hmm. Mm, I'm Jeff. And I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> We're both dragging a little tonight. Why so are we dragging? I don't know. Well, we gamed all, not all day yesterday. We gamed D&D, had some real yeah. good time. I don't know, but that was yesterday. Yeah. I'm tired today, though. It's from... cold out. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's bloody cold out. It's, it's Sunday. It's zero degrees Fahrenheit. December 18th. Brutal, brutal cold. Yeah, and I decided recently to make good on one of my many resolutions that I've made over the years. And I switched the weather app in my phone from Fahrenheit to centigrade or Celsius designations. And so whenever I look at my phone to see what the temperature is, I have really you have no idea. What's going on? I, I don't know. I don't have any idea. It's a complicated formula, and I tried to create a shortcut in my head, but that's not working. So I look at my phone, I just think, I don't know what the temperature is, but it's cold. It is. I shoveled today. Yeah. After church. Yeah, we had last snow. Last night. Yeah. Y'all, y'all. You're allowed, are you allowed to shovel on uh, Sunday? Well, yes. But not use the snowblower? No, it was the snowblower. Oh, it was. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, last night you all left. Yeah. And I was so glad I could stay in the house. And yeah. Watch, and watch I, all of you trudge through the snow. Yeah. And scrape your cars. So it makes me feel less bad about the times when you leave here after recording, like tonight when you leave, I'm going to feel a little bad that you have to go out <laughs> in, the, in the cold. Cold car. Because it is, it is just bloody cold. Yeah, my I mean, face got very, very yeah. chill. Like if I stood out much longer, yeah. You could feel it in your teeth? Oh, like? it was cold. Yeah. 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 I need to have a ski mask or something on, you know. Yeah. Or wear your clown mask. That can be worn <laughs> while you're shoveling. There's a clown shoveling the neighbor's yard. Uh, driveway. Yeah, when I left last night, your neighbor was was at it. It was about eleven o'clock, and but I think he has an electric snowblower, so it's it's, it's pretty quiet. quiet. Yeah, it's like mm, on the left or the right, or uh, the to, to the left as we face your house. Okay, Don. Yeah, yeah, yeah Don. Why didn't I call him Don? Because <laughs> I didn't know that was his name. He's been to a couple game nights. Has he? Yes. Oh. Well, he. Uh, I don't know if you invited him last night, but he made up a good excuse for not coming to D&D, which was he was snowblowing his driveway. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and I shoveled today. I don't have a snowblower yet. I Dave. thought you hired it out. <laughs> well, we did that for a few years, but the guys are maniacs. <laughs> the, the, the people we've had, they come by in their trucks, and they're in a hurry, and it's, you know, they... 
they just plow as fast as they can and they knock over, you know, the all the, the, lo- the lawn ornaments the and small the, children walking yeah, by. Really any, anything that's in the way. They tear up all the the gardening and <laughs> knock over the flower boxes. Just crazy. Well, I noticed it was very neat and clean, this well, particular shoveling. I did it myself, and I decided this year that I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it with the usual precision with which I handle things. Same way with Squad Leader. Well, it did look very neat. Yeah, and I got out there with a shovel, and I think I really need a snow, snow blower. But what I've been doing is trying to go out every two inches or so, well, which is a horrible, a, horrible idea. A very long driveway. Yeah. It's like mine. Well, and I have two driveways because I live on this huge estate ranch well, campus oh well, it's bigger than my house it's a campus well I, and i live on the corner and i have two driveways you do so and two garage no what's the I one, one on garage and one shed? shed so i've got one long single lane and then a then a pretty long double lane garage uh driveway it's a lot it's a lot but i need the exercise you do i can tell yeah, yeah i know really. yeah. <laughs> yeah since we're we're broadcasting tonight without shirts on so it shows <laughs> So you didn't see Hacksaw Ridge? I haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge, no. Haven't been to the movies lately. Really? Well, The last the movie time. I went to was uh, my wife and I decided to go to a movie over the summer, and so we picked a good one. We picked Sausage Party. <laughs> it was as bad as it looked in the preview. It was, um, it was, it was, it had its moments, actually. I was surprised. <laughs> we were mildly amused by it. Well, that's good enough, yeah. then. Yeah, it was actually kind of clever in in a few places. But really, of all things to watch, it, when you go to the movies so rarely, as we just have not been going very often, we picked that. Yes. Yeah. Well, Hacksaw Ridge, you know. Yeah, probably a better movie. Really, really enjoyed it. Going to try mm-hmm. and go again. Mm-hmm. Especially World War II buffs. I haven't checked the history, historicity of it based on a true story. Yeah. But they climb up the ridge. It's a heck of a long netting. You know, the netting they hang over the ships? They, they, they climb down into the landing craft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have that strung up this ridge. And they all just scram, scramble up it. And it For looks, the purpose of getting to the top? the Japanese. Ah, okay. <laughs> to get to the other side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Japanese are d- dug in up there. And where was this? It was Okinawa. It in New- oh, Okinawa. Yeah, mm-hmm. but really, really violent. Yeah, uh, you know, Mel Gibson. Kind of a Private Ryan opening D-Day scene kind of oh. violence. Yeah, and more intense, I think. But just well done, man. Had me on the edge, like on the edge of my seat. Really? Never. Yeah, the opening is him in his hometown and how he's busy. Doesn't want to touch a weapon, but he wants to serve his country. Yeah. So there's a whole bit about that at home, why that is. Then he meets the girl. He gets into the army. There's conflict in the barracks. And then it gets the last hour or so. Yeah. The war is just the Japanese. You got giant bonsai charges and everything. Wow. So recommended. Yep. Dave's seal of approval. Yeah. And this was a Mel Gibson movie. He directed? Directed, yeah. And then are you doing Star Wars? Yeah. Uh, Rogue One. Rogue One. Yeah, I I don't know that I'm going to go. What? Well, you know, I just don't want to go outside. <laughs> I it's just because uh, it's so bloody cold. But uh, Robbie doesn't want to go. My wife doesn't want to go. Oh. She doesn't want to see it. She's got no interest. You know, we really didn't like the last one. The oh, Force that's right. Awakens. We talked about this on the yeah. air. Yeah. I was surprised, and I'm surprised again. You yeah, I didn't really. Voice. I didn't like it. I think I could see it again. If I saw it again, I think it would confirm the fact that I didn't like it. I just didn't see anything new. I didn't see anything new or innovative, interesting. I didn't really love the characters. In fact, I didn't like some of the characters. I kept wondering why certain people were doing things. Why is he doing that? I kept thinking. You're just overthinking that. Well, probably. And I try to. The kids were over today, and we were watching a uh, Christmas movie. And. We were all saying, oh, why is he doing that? Or, oh, who, that's very unreal. It was uh, Home Alone 2. Oh. oh, that's not very realistic, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, we've, got to, we've got to suspend our disbelief a little bit here. It's Home Alone 2. Yeah. Well, and I had a problem with that with, with Star Wars, so it could be there. I'm done with Star Wars. I'm done. <laughs> Sorry. Well, with Hexaw Ridge, I, yeah. there were times I was like, uh, I think I said it out loud, like, uh, don't do that, or... 
be careful. Like, <laughs> because really? did you watch in soldiers bunch up a little too much? Because you know, oh yeah, the Japanese are just going to open up with machine guns any minute here. Yeah, and I'm watching. I'm very got to get a little tense, you know. And then the guy lights the cigarette at night. Oh, and right away I'm going. Don't, don't do that. Smoking kills <laughs> snipers. Yeah. yeah, but actually it didn't happen. Don't want to spoiler oh. alert, but 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 yeah, it's just funny after being so into the studying the war thing and other films and and, and knowing reading all these books about the war, you you kind of have thoughts about be careful, you know. Yeah, we've seen this in before. Right. Yeah. Well, it's. I should go. I just haven't been to war movies. Now, we watched a movie for our other podcast. Mm-hmm. We watched... Spine and Sprocket. For the Spine and Sprocket podcast. Oh, yeah. The best podcast on the net about World War II movies and books and other stuff, other kinds of movies and books. We watched A Bridge Too Far, and I loved that. I, I liked yep, that. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I liked that a lot. But I lately I haven't seen... I didn't go see that tank movie with Brad Pitt. You Did, did no. you see that one? Yeah. I didn't hear very many good things about that. No, I'm but, willing to watch it. Yeah. And then there was one about... Uh, the Jewish recruits to go kill all the Nazis. Fury? No, wait, that was the tank. Hey, Fury this, was the tank. Hey, right. The, there. Yeah, there was another assassination type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. But... Um, remember the listener sent us that link to that other tank movie. In Israel, was it? or? Of course I do. I'm just not willing it? to give up that information at this that time because that that tra- that tra- it's we must have it linked the uh, trailer. Oh, really I do great. remember that. Yes, I do. It was remember all seeing shot the inside the tank. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, I already forgot all about it until we're talking yeah. now. I gotta need more stick. I need to be like Ray Rayners. If you live around Chicago, you know what I'm talking about. Where I just have all these sticky notes stuck to my body. And yeah, I have to stay there until I accomplish the thing. Right. It's, it's and as Ray Rayner did, you have to wear a jumpsuit because he wore. <laughs> Uh-huh. He just wore like those jump, that jumpsuit overalls with all those notes, not sticky notes at that time. I think he used paper clips or something. Yeah, because it was back in the olden days he before such things as glue. Just pull it right off, notes. take a look at it, and say, yeah. "Oh, time for this now." Yeah, time to go see Cuddly Dudley. If anybody remembers Ray Rayner, uh, I'd be surprised. A Chicago icon. So, what else is going on, Dave? What have you been? What have you been up Nothing. to? Yeah. Reading. Yeah. What are you reading? Well, the book we reviewed on Spine and Sprocket. Spine and Sprocket, which was... British, no, we didn't do a Bridge Too Far. We did uh, September Hope. September Hope. So go listen to that, folks. And yeah. then I'm also reading a book on Spain by Missioner. It's like his travels over there. Oh. And it's, some of it's uh, kind of bizarre. It was fun today. I was reading a page. How'd you pick that? Um, oh, because it, cause we're going to Spain. You are? We are. Laura and I to visit Megan. Megan's going overseas for her, you know, Ay, uh, Spanish uh, immersion yeah. experience. And Laura and I are going to go for a week. Wow. And visit. So I was at the like Goodwill and saw this book on Spain, really mm-hmm. fat book. So I grabbed it. It was kind of a joke for Laura. I gave it to her for yeah. her birthday. Oh, okay. Here's a little light reading for your Spanish yeah. preparation. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll start. I'll start in on it. I'll be willing to skip pages. You know, that's very rare for me. Yes. You like to get but through I it will, all. I will be not to skip if it's not. But it's missionary. He talks about introduction, his first trip there, and then he's talking about the people, and he asks these questions that are very fascinating um, because the Spanish people love freedom, yet they end up with dictators, and then, or they had this biggest empire. Why? And then they couldn't decide to go. Like into the Atlantic or the Mediterranean, because they you know they face both ways, and mm. they try to do too much, and then and then they gave up. Why? And then he all, all these kind of political issues, social issues, economic issues, and I thought those were good questions. Yeah, so we'll see if he kind of gets to the answers of those as he goes. But he's talking to one Spaniard. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Uh, and he's it makes an observation: the Spanish women in the Middle Age. Middle-aged Spanish women are heavier than uh, French or American women. What? Now, he's writing this in the 60s. Uh, okay. He can get away with it then. Well, it's interesting. Now there'd be a backlash. So the Spaniard he's talking to says, <laughs> Well, you know, our women are happily married and there's no divorce in Spain. So they know they can gain weight and their husbands will not leave them. But, of course, we all have mistresses, which they accept as normal life and... 
So, which we would have mistresses even if they weren't heavy, but they're wonderful wives and they're happy and they're. <laughs> wow. Does that sound really odd? It does sound odd. It sounds dated. It, it really does. Antiquated. Yeah. Yeah. And like all the Spanish women are the same. Hmm. So they, they love their church, they love their families, they love their social life, and they are the best in the world. How about that? You will find. You'll find out. Yes. You're going to be, now Now that you've uh, enveloped yourself in the culture, you can go over there, you can sit and have coffee and, and talk with the locals, talk to them about their, <laughs> their history and why they don't well, run the Mediterranean anymore and, and I'm very, why their women are fat. And I, and I am very weak on Spanish history. Yeah. As we all are. I, I, I'm, it does kind of fall off. A little bit. When we talk about European history, it seems like I think you know, and even I think probably because they didn't really participate were they in that World much. War in, one even? I don't. I don't think so. Then the Civil War was brutal. I know a little, yeah. little yeah. about that, but right. not much. But. Yeah, I don't know much about it either. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting. I didn't know you were going, so that's great. When are you going next year? Spring break, two thousand seventeen. So I'm wow, it's coming right Soon. up. I had no idea. Wow. Soon. What are you reading? I'm uh, actually between things because I just finished September Hope, oh. and now I'm ready to take on something else I haven't really picked yet. So I, I'm not sure if I'm going to pick a World War II something or or something else or read some trashy science fiction novel, which is kind of what I'm leaning toward right now. I've got a lot of big projects coming up and want to relax. Yeah, you have a big new job. Yeah, big new job. But you um, have to get to. But I I hate to get away from World War II stuff because I tell you September Hope was just so. Good. I really I, I liked it. it so much. It makes me want to read some more stuff. And so, uh, if anybody's got any suggestions, of course, everybody does. Well, what time is so. it now, Jeff? <laughs> what have you been playing lately? What have you been playing lately? It's time for What Have You Been Playing Lately? And I have two little scenarios here. I see you do have some. Yeah, I have one scenario that, that one uh, takes two. Yeah. Well, I two played AP, I wrote five, but it couldn't have been five. So it must have been 52 into Vienna Woods with you. Do you have any memory of this? Uh, of course I do. <laughs> well, Did I win at the bottom? Does it say R in a circle? It says R name? in a circle, okay. yeah. I won as the Russians. Now, this will refresh your memory. First of all, what's on that card, Jeff? Uh, just quickly, German, Russian. Yeah, Germans versus Russians. Russian sets up first. It's uh, not a very big scenario. Just takes place a half of board fifty-eight. There's five five two sevens, a two two seven half squad, an eight zero leader, a couple machine guns, some dummy counters, and six trenches. So you know this is going to be a, a little bit of a slugfest. And then on turn three along the east ridge. 10 458s come in with a 91 leader, an 81 leader, an 80 leader, kind of a lot of leaders for Russians. And then uh, three light machine guns, an 85L, let's see, I can't quite read what the designation is on the tank, sorry, and then a 76L on a tank as well come in. They go going up against 11 658 SS Germans with a 102 leader, 9 neg 1 leader, uh, an 80 leader couple of medium machine guns, three light machine guns, and a Panzer Schreck. Yes, I do remember this, where the Russians were up on the hill. The Germans had to come in and uh, take over the they had to exit, level two they? of the hill. Was that the one? Germans went at the game end by controlling all level three hexes. This is the one where the Russians were up on the hill. <laughs> level three. I came in. You said you would have done... I, can, I, can, I remember this very well now. I attacked you. You were up along the ridge of of the level two. I sort of made my way around and got up and took you out there. But you you got to level three, and then you came on, and I I wasn't able to cut you off. I didn't get around the back in order to cut off your entrance yes. of your extra ten squads, and so you kind of came right in and took over took up some good positions yeah, and it's starting to the hill. sound familiar to me now it's yeah. funny because you weren't remembering it now. yeah well i did but take I notes so here's my notes okay i wrote down that the uh, germans attacked through the right center behind the orchards a good move yeah 
The gully looks nice, but may take too long. Definitely the gully would take too long. You may want to try to cut off the Russian reinforcements. Yeah, if I had gotten around behind the hill a little bit quicker and set up a machine gun, I could have cut off. Because yeah. the 10 squads that you had come in, there was a lot of open ground there that they had, you know, two or three hexes of open ground before they got to some cover. I could have cut them off there. Yeah, I think we talked afterward and recommended getting to BB3 hex to shoot down the road or right. get on the hill on S3. Yeah. Hex, left side. Germans should be aggressive. German wants... I was a little bit slow. X4, W5, Hex, X5 to defend. And X5 is the perfect rally spot on the board. Hmm. Okay. I can't remember where X5 was. No, but but listeners can take a look at the board. But I remember you said, and I kind of liked this idea, you said if I had set up a position right on, if I had entered the board and set up the two medium machine guns to sort of pick away at the squads that you had along the ridge on both levels, it probably would have been, I probably could... could have cut them down, which would allow me a more direct approach. As yeah. it was, I had to, I skirted around a little bit, and I, I lost a turn. In, in movement. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I wrote, must move quickly. For the Russians, I said, you can't set up uh, a squad or two out on the edges of the mountain to stop movement. Not enough firepower and block line of sight. Yeah. They will be overrun. And they did get overrun. The trenches are a good defense. Yes. W3 becomes a not very good, but only rally place for the Russian. My reinforcements found V1, U1, T1 as safe, direct routes uphill to win the game. One squad went to EE1 and EE3 to break the routers, etc., but they had no effect on the game. I don't know what I meant. Maybe the Russians should consider covering X5, W5 as rally terrain, or using it as rally terrain. That's my notes. Well, I'm glad I took notes. Hopefully that's more helpful for the listeners. But yeah. <laughs> Did I enjoy the scenario? I yes, we I remember we had a good time. We did have a good time. And we we did our best. Into Vienna Woods. Yeah. And that was our uh I think that was from Action Pack Four. Yeah, we're last one from Action Pack Four or, no, or very close the to the end of Action Pack. First one of Pack five four. now. Oh, it's the first one of Action Pack Five. Okay, so yeah. we're just getting started on Action Pack. Yeah, we got a ways to go. Mm-hmm. To catch up. Yeah. We'll do what we can. Well, I played one. I've played one since our last show. Could that be? No. Two, because you played this one oh, with Oh, yeah, me. I played that one with you. And then I played with uh, Mr. Spilkey over at his house, Burning Down the House. This is from Bounding Fire Production 77 from their, from their Crucible of Steel pack, which is highly recommended from Bounding Fire, which is one of our great sponsors. Bounding Fire Productions. Where your productions will bound. Ding. Boundingly fire. Burning down the house, This it, it isn't all that big, but it does cover two scenario cards. Mm-hmm. It takes place on two boards, W4A and W4B. They're actually, I don't know, I guess there are kind of a lot of squads. This was a tough one for me, and Rich played the Russians. I'll just give you a little layout. The Russians have not, a, not an awful lot of squads. They've got maybe 15 squads to start with. Plus a, a nine neg one and eight neg one. Uh, they've got seven dummies, a heavy machine gun, that is a, a fifty cal, and they've got two heavies, three lights, two mortars. They've got a mall projector, Molotov projector, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Two ATRs. Then it starts to get a little hairier. Uh, they've got three forty-five L AT guns, a forty-five LL AT gun, a thirty-seven L AA gun, two. 122L artillery pieces. Those are nasty. Uh, an infantry gun, 76 asterisk. A dug-in uh, Valentine tank with a 40L gun on it. Then they have uh, three pillboxes, five AT ditches, two foxholes, eight trenches, six wire counters, 36 factors of minefield, eight factors of AT minefield, and then on turn three, as if it's not bad enough, on turn three, they've got three five two seven uh, first line squads, a seven zero leader, light machine gun, eight, uh, ATR, two seventy six L T thirty four tanks, one seventy six L SU tank, uh, two of those. Those enter on turn three. So the Russian is is pretty well equipped, and he's dug in, and a lot of stuff is set up 
can be set up hip. There's quite a bit of grain. This, as a lot of these scenarios are, take place on the Russian steppe. So a lot of these are flat with a lot of grain, a little bit of hill here and there, but not too much. And the Russian has a bunch of buildings. And for the German to win, they have to accumulate 22 victory points or more, which comes from controlling these buildings. So Rich set up a very nice defense, a lot of which I couldn't really see. And the German had six eight three eight uh, elites, six four six eights, twelve four six seven. So I had a lot of squads, a couple of two four seven half squads, a ten two leader, a nine neg one, two eight neg ones, two eight o's, a seven o, four medium machine guns, seven light machine guns, two ATRs, two flamethrowers. Yeah, baby, that's a whole lot of stuff. Two or five demolition charges. Then I got a, a huge number of tanks here. I had uh, four Panzer IVs, three Panzer threes, two Panzer three Js, another Panzer with a fifty on it, then two flame, no, three th- flame throwing tanks. Oh, and then I had this cool little, uh, I guess it was an armored car, which was where my OBA spotter was, was in there. Then there were two other little armored cars, a couple of 75L Martyrs, uh, three or four others a couple of little vehicles, a couple of half-tracks, troop carriers. I mean, you know, other, other stuff on here. So I had a lot of stuff to, to be track, uh-huh. keep track of. That was kind of a lot for me. How many turns is that? It's only six and a half turns. Okay, so you're moving a so lot you gotta of stuff. So you've got to move fast. So i got to move fast, and i got to move a lot of stuff. So I did my classic thing, which is, let's see what happens. It's sort of that, what have I got to lose? <laughs> no, nobody is going to die in real life, so let's see what happens. So I, I rather dumbly divided my forces into two separate sections. And usually when I do that, it doesn't work out. But the way Rich was set up, I wanted to keep him from, from really readily sweeping across. Once he decided... Once he determined which way I was going to push my attack, I didn't want him just running everybody over from the other side of the board. So I put quite a heavy bunch of squads along the left side, hoping that if once he sees where I'm going to go, which would be down the right side, I could hold them off from running. I could keep them busy. Yeah, He'd want to stay over there. Problem with that was he had a lot of hidden hip stuff in that grain. A lot of it, like mines. He really set up well with mines and with hidden units. And, I mean, he he just kind of wiped me out. Oh. It didn't really work very well. And I actually did not use my vehicles very well at all. I was trying to use smoke. Uh, once he revealed where his gigantic artillery piece, the 122L, was, I tried to smoke that up. I dropped smoke right on it but he was still firing out of it. So it was a plus four because he's firing out of, sm- out of the smoke. I was putting smoke down with my big mortar. He's firing out a plus four smoke and still destroying my tanks. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think it's got a base to kill number of like 25 or something like that. So if you just get a hit. Yeah, just to get a hit. That's, that's all he needs. And I like the way Rich does it. One thing he does is he'll take the scenario card and he'll just write the base to kill number above each vehicle counter. Okay. Which makes it, pretty easy then to just glance at it and think, gee, that should I? It kind of helps to keep it in your head what you're going to be going against. Of course, I wasn't really looking at that. I wasn't taking enough into account on, in that regard. Yeah, I need to do a better job of... What tank and right. Which one needs a side shot? Who needs to stay back? Who can go forward? That kind of thing. And I kind of just got lost track because I had so many vehicles. And we got through about four turns, but it became obvious by that point that that uh, yeah. he was just going to wipe the floor with me. And so he happily took the the win on that. And he had lost a couple of games to me recently, so I think yes, he very gleefully took the win. we did talk about that last yeah. show. <laughs> and I played an 11th company counterattack, ASL Scenario 170, mm-hmm. by Tuomo Lucari. So this one is from the Finnish Hakapale. Oh, okay. Which you're replaying with Mr. Timonen. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I played him. And it is uh, got a very unique board. It has river and a narrow strip of land right through here. 
I kind of drew a diagram. Okay. There's river below, river above it. There's ah. a strip of land going oh, through. Okay. There's a railroad you lay down. It goes along a road. And then there's basically three, two cups of woods with little buildings. And then in the back end, a two-story hill with a building, or I'm sorry, a two-story building on a hill in the back. The goal is for the Finns to win if there are no unbroken Russian MMC on board. So you have to break all the Russians mm-hmm. to win. And the first game, I set up in the first woods. They All the Russians can entrench in a, a, uh, an appropriate train and uh, lo- lose the shootout a bit. Oh, I... Yeah, he came right into that woods because you can't go north. There's water and south. It's this narrow strip of land. It's kind of cool. And was that one from one of the Hakapali boards? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, forty and board eight. So I don't think those. Came oh, okay. Out of yeah, it right. just had the one big woods board. Okay. So I started to retreat a bit, and then the second woods he got to, I won that shootout. You know. Yeah. He comes up. You defensive fire. He preps. You you know, and the. And then I keep broke enough guys I could counterattack. So you're talking a six-turn game. Uh, Dave, Dave's one tank immobilized on 12. And so having seen that happen, then we played quickly. We flipped it and played it again. So we switched sides, and I took the Finns this time to try and attack you know, his, his Russians. And they set up his minded, but he kept one way in the back in that last building. You know, you have to break all the Russians, so I would highly advise that. Keep one way in the back here on that hill with that mm-hmm. building. Then I hit right side of the line, sent a squad and a tank down the road to cut off the retreat and a surround attempt on the first woods. And then I lost the first shootout, but I won the second and third shootouts as I pushed through the woods. So those Russians were breaking, routing to the second woods, and I moved real fast to get the broken units. And flanking tank rolls. What was that? Get the tank. Uh, what could I kill those tanks? Well, ATR on these two finished tanks with the 114 gun on it. So when those puppies hit, you blow up good. Yeah. You know, and just an ATR to try and destroy it. And uh, I got a three to hit on a concealed Russian unit hiding in the back area. And then I got a KIA on effects and. That really helped to just win the game. That must have been the guy back in the house. So I knew I had to get him. It was coming down the last turn. It was going to be real close if I could break him. And then I, I got, I hit, got a KIA. Sweet. Amazingly. Sweet. But you do have to move. Is the um, uh, Finn? You're going to need to move fast. You can't take everyone straight into those front woods with six turns and break all the Russians all the way back. Eleventh Company counterattack. We liked it a lot. Yeah, you know, as a as a wrap up, I like the way you wrap up and kind of say what what needs to be done for a scenario. And going back to burning down the house, I'm not sure how the German can win this. And Rich and I want he wants to play it again because apparently this is going to be one of the scenarios at the ASL Open. Oh, which is coming up, Chicago's most famous tournament. So Rich wants to play it again with switching sides. And how do you feel about that? Do you ever do you, have you done that a lot where you'll play a scenario and then switch sides and play it again? No. Yeah. But I'm not against it. Yeah. No, normally I would say yes, but having played the Germans and lost, I mean, I I think it's going to be really hard for Rich, but I would like to see how he does it, I guess. Because I said to him, Rich, I don't think the Germans can win this. And he said, oh, I think you're wrong. I think all you have to do is this and that, which is, well... First of all, it's rich, so he's probably true. Yeah, he's yeah, probably right, right, whatever he's saying. But um, I always think, well, it's easy to say that after a scenario is over. Oh, all the German has to do is come along the right side and you know keep moving up. But man, this Russian firepower that he's got, and all these—I didn't mention that. I think uh, a number of these Russian locations can be fortified. I can't remember how many are allowed to be fortified. A lot of fortifications. I don't know how they can do it. They've got to cover a lot of open ground against some very big artillery. And yes, they have some decent tanks, but you know, if you keep your tanks and stuff back far enough, where they're not going to get just clobbered so easily, it's it's hard to have an effective hit against a fortified location. So I don't know. 
I'm trying, anyway, what I'm trying to say is, I don't know what my recommendation for that is. this is, other than play the Russian side if you want to win. Then I was trying to think, well, what did I learn from this scenario? And I just think, uh, I need to practice more. That's what I learned. Why don't you look that up on Roar, this uh, uh, burning down the house, and see if it's on, in there. Yeah, sure let me check is. here. Oh, says, guess what? Could you step closer to the microphone? Guess what? What, what the record is? Uh, Russians 9, Germans 0. <laughs> Germans 9, Russians 7. Really? Yes, sir. Gadzooks. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we are going to switch sides, and Rich will show me how this should be played. And then... You know, the the risk of this is Rich set up such a nice defense. I kind of want to set up exactly the same defense. He didn't have any weaknesses in it. Just do it. There's nothing else you should do except to have that same defense. It seems like cheating. Not at all. Okay. No, sir. All right. Except he'll know where everything is. Well, yeah, there there is that. But he's still going to have to bust it. Yeah. So, what good time luck, is it now? Good luck to him. It's time for... What's in the box? The box. And tonight we have... Journal number five. It sounds like you're in a tin can. Journal Just, number five. This is a that big would, empty that box. That would be an early war tank. Oh, yeah. A tin can. Uh, yes. We didn't mention that it's Christmas week, did we? No, it is Christmas week. As of this recording. We wish everybody a happy, peaceful holiday. Yeah, this will post afterward. Will it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. You expecting any ASL goodies uh, under the tree this year? Nope. Model kits. Model kits, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Toys. Dave, always a good one for toys. toys. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's great. Well, in this one... ASL Journal 22. No. the first, yes, the first article, well, there's the debriefing in the front. I beg your pardon? The debriefing. <laughs> We're not wearing pants. Yes. So let's, let us brief, let's keep our briefs on. And it's your corrections and so on. And then mm-hmm. you have the first article, A Line in the Sand. And this is talking about Pete Schelling's, once again, mini campaign game. And this is in the desert. We just covered all the desert stuff. So how good is that? I'll read what it says here to you. The Germans win this campaign game by winning two out of three scenarios. A line in the sand consists of three consecutive scenarios that can be played individually or as part of a mini game. Rommel's Remedy, Egypt's Last Hope, and Twisted Knickers. <laughs> Twisted Knickers? Mm-hmm. Isn't that a band? I think so. Yeah. No, that's Twisted Sister. Oh. The mini campaign game is perfect for team play, with each of the three teammates playing one scenario. The three scenarios provide a cross-section of the fight at Alam Halfa in the dog days of summer of 42. Each scenario uses special rules here below. below. And then over here he says, during the play test, we had to balance the scenarios at the same time as balancing the campaign game, often taking from one side of the equation to give to the other. The solution was to simplify things, keep the three-game format for the campaign game, Utilize the variable orders of battle, which you have printed here as a force pool tables for German and British as a campaign game-wide event. This would allow players to divide the strengths and weaknesses of the available pieces according to their own choosing. It would require a little more guesswork concerning the opponent's intentions. So it's nice to have that kind of fog of war thing going on there. And I have played those three. Have you? I think I played those with Rick Hollander. Way back when. And the second article is by uh, the late, great Ian Daglish. Ah, Ian. History and the Game, Frontal Assault. And he's in this article, they're running an excerpt from his uh, book that covers the actions in a scenario. And so it's really just from his, his book. So it's two pages there. And then there's a tip from the trenches. Ah, always like those. Hidden initially placed stealthy defenders in jungle kunai bamboo can allow moving units to enter the defender's location. The defender can then drop hip and use triple point blank fire to end the moving unit's movement phase or stay hip and allow them to finish their movement phase either in that location, requiring then an ambush in the camp close combat phase, or by passing through. 
there are two such defending units hidden in the same location. Example, a Gurkha 458 and NATO. The defender can do both. Pop up the 458 to blast the moving units with a 12 shot, followed by a 6 subsequent, and place a close combat marker. Then in the close combat phase, the concealed 8 emerges to invoke an ambush, with the attacker suffering a plus 1 dial modifier despite not advancing in. Mm-hmm. A tip of the helmet to Scott Jackson for suggesting this. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Complete sense. And that relates to the next article, which you covered. And that's why it made sense. Why? That's why that tip made sense to me. Because <laughs> you just read this article? Yeah, I read this article, so I had some context. I, you know, I've been noticing a little more recently for myself that I, I have, uh, I don't know, I don't want to attribute it to age, because I am certainly not getting any older. But what I do notice is that I don't do very well in flipping from one subject to another subject to another subject. So, for instance, if I've been working for eight hours and then I try to immediately go play ASL, it takes me a good hour or so before I really am able to shift gears and get my brain going and in the groove of the game. Hmm. And likewise, uh, reading articles, if if I've been doing something else and I sit down to read an article like this from Mark Pitcavich, it usually takes me two or three readings to to really get to make sense of it. I don't know if that's... Do you, do you have that uh, issue? Not always, but just occasionally. Yeah. I'm just noticing that more. So, anyway, uh, Mark wrote this article. Our friend Mark Pitcavich, <clears throat> our, our dear close friend Mark Pitcavich, has a website. The jungle isn't neutral. We don't mention his website because he doesn't do an audio (laughs) podcast, so... Yeah, but we've forgiven him. His website doesn't really count. No, we're kidding. Mark, you're invited on the show anytime. We'd like to have you on. Just give us a call. Again, he's already been on. Yeah, again. This is called The Jungle Isn't Neutral, Up Close and Personal in the PTO. And this article is, in a nutshell, a discussion of fighting in the jungle and some of the unique uh, aspects of that. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that when you're playing in the PTO and fighting in the jungle, you will find yourself probably a lot more relying on things like close combat and getting up close and personal because of the nature of jungle and the way jungle grows and how it sort of channels movement and restricts movement and slows down movement. So you're going to be finding it and also how easy it is for people to hide in the jungle. You're going to find yourself probably doing a lot of really up close stuff and what the kind of thing you need to keep in mind while that's happening. For instance, he talks here about the need for some consideration as to whether you want to, because it's so hard to move in the jungle, do you want to move up to become adjacent to a known enemy unit and and give up the, you know, should you give up concealment? Should you keep concealment? Uh, should you go CX in order to make those ex- extra movement that you need for, for squads in order to get up close? Especially if you're trying to advance up a hill and it takes four movement points to get up a hill, you know, you would lose your, you'd get CX automatically or it, is it moving in, in difficult terrain? All these things that come into into play when you're playing in the jungle. And he talks here about especially the idea of keeping concealment and how important it is in when you go into close combat for ambush purposes. Yes, for sure. And he talks a lot in here about the value of ambush and what you should do to try to keep ambush. He says, because he says, if if you're ambushed, your chances for survival are not very good, and they may be downright poor if hand-to-hand combat is involved. A single Japanese 447 squad that ambushes an American 666 squad will eliminate it outright nearly 60% of the time, which is a lot. A lot. You need to keep that in mind. He talks about... uh, you know, if you're a defender, what are your alternatives if somebody moves up adjacent to you? Do you drop concealment in order to fire, fire at somebody in defensive fire? Do you keep concealment and hope that you survive their advancing fire and then hope you survive them advancing into your hex for close combat? So you've got some advantage there because you're keeping concealment for the ambush purposes. But if your opponent is smart, he might also leave one unit he might have four units advancing in. He might 
drop concealment on three of those in order to take an advancing fire shot on you. And then when he advances in in close combat, oh. he keeps at least <clears throat> one with concealment, which I always forget. Just by yes. having one unit keep concealment, even if it's a 7-0 leader. Right. When it comes to close combat, he's going to have the that uh, neg one and the ambush advantage by having a concealed unit in that. So talks a lot about that and the the uh, what you should be thinking about in that case. Then he goes with several of the different nationalities and talks about their strengths and weaknesses in close combat. Talks about, for instance, in, in the, the Marines, not the Marines, but uh, the U.S. players, a lot of their squads are like 666s six, six, or 667s, six, six, which is fairly low morale. Yes. But one thing US he, he points out that I always forget is morale is ir- irrelevant when you get into close combat. Correct. It doesn't really matter. But you got to get into it. you got to get into close combat. So if you can keep those units concealed or take advantage of any chance that you can get ambush, etc., you're going to have a better chance. Uh, he puts. He says here specifically... It's often to the advantage of the American player to assault move into two or more hexes adjacent to an enemy rather than just one. Since the Japanese squads do not have spraying fire, this greatly increases the chances that one of the two forces will survive unbroken, especially if concealed. So that's an advantage for an advantage against the ja- a disadvantage of the Japanese, I guess I should say, is that they don't have spraying fire. You could take advantage of that. Talks about the advantage of the Japanese. Of course, there are many advantages. They get a neg one on hand-to-hand combat rolls. They get, uh, well, let's see, the elite units are stealthy. They have the advantage of being able to do bonsai charges, which sort of sort of eliminates the whole issue of advancing or moving adjacent to a unit, because when you do a bonsai charge, you charge right into the hex. You go right into Correct, close combat. Right. So you kind of skip over the advanced final defensive fire phase. Talks also about the Chinese, if you're playing with the Chinese. Apparently, and I have not played a lot of the Chinese scenarios, he's, he kind of indicates that when you're playing a Chinese scenario, there's usually more Chinese counters to offset. Uh, I, I don't know, to give the... Scenario balance, maybe? It's a big country. Yeah. And so he says, usually the Chinese will have a little advantage in that, having more, so you get a little bit more of a chance to get into close combat. And then, because they can do hand-to-hand pretty readily, they can eliminate Japanese units. The Chinese have other advantages. They can use dare-death squads. These squads can voluntarily go berserk, an advantage that should never be underestimated. They enter into and resolve close combat as if they were Japanese, including using hand-to-hand combat. Moreover, they get a negative one die roll modifier in close combat, regardless of whether it's hand-to-hand or not. Chinese units can also utilize human wave. And lastly, communist Chinese troops are treated as partisans, which makes them stealthy, which is a significant advantage. Hmm. Talks about the British, which he says, uh, you know, by and large, you don't want to do too much close combat with the British. They don't have a lot of advantage in there. However, if you're playing with Anzac units, that's the Australian and New Zealanders, Oh yeah, they're considered, considered stealthy unless they're green. So they get uh, close combat, a neg one on their close combat die roll. And, um, oh, talks about the Gurkhas. Gurkhas yeah. also. Except for the green units, they're commandos, and thus they are stealthy. stealthy. And they can choose whether to gauge in uh, hand-to-hand combat or not. And they have the Gurkha knives. And those beautiful Gurkha knives. That gives them the neg one. Yes, right? that's right. Glorious to behold. So, uh, very interesting. And he talks a little bit about uh, bonsai charges and what the use is there, which I just touched on very briefly, and also gives some of the details of the dare-death squads that the the Chinese player has has access to. So, very interesting article, followed by another tip from the trench. Which goes like this. Since inherent crews, I guess this is getting off the topic now. Since inherent crews are not personnel units, they do not take PTC char- um, pin, checks. Pin checks. Pin checks. But while vehicles do not pin, a vulnerable inherent crew can suffer a pin result by passing an IFT morale check with the highest possible, highest possible die roll. 
I think I left my teeth in my the other glass in the other room. Such a pin result forces a CTA, uh, that is a close, close top, top AFV crew, to button up and flicks a number of different results on an open top AFV target. Uh, an open top AFV, yes. The target will DM the broken squat. Let's see. Such a pin result forces a closed top AFE crew to button up and inflicts a number of different results on an open top AFE target. I'm trying to read that sentence and I'm having a hard time. <laughs> I know, yeah, an open top AFE. I think there's a misplaced period here. An open top AFE yes. target will we'll DM, DM the broken squad. Okay. Yeah. That's an easy tip. It's just hard to read. And then, if the uh, punctuation is off, there this issue and uh, the next one I believe covers the uh, historical game that I can't think of the name of now. And Germans when the operate oh shoot what is it Operation oh well the goofy game for dopey doctors where they flood all the lands and you get all these water scenarios with a lot of buffaloes and ducks historical study. Oh, one. veritable, Operation veritable, veritable. Yes, Woo. right. This scenario, reading from in the, the Netherlands or something, isn't it? Yeah, in, in the Lowlands. The, the yeah. Lowlands. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they flooded them out. The Germans yeah. did. So you get these really unique and fun uh, kinds of attacks. I started playing some of these with Dave Timonen. Mm. We never ended up going back and finishing them. Oddly for me. Yeah. But this scenario features a late. With he's talking about uh, historical study seventeen waterfowl specifically. And he, there's still some good uh, general tips and things within the article for other games that you might play. But he says this takes place in a flooded, German-occupied flooded town. It's the Canadian assault on it, an unusual tactical challenge in ASL. It's six turn length, intensity, odd units, and Panzer Faust Hunter Chrome all add to its fun factor. Yes, it has overlays and no boards, but it only takes about 15 minutes to put together. And the situation's a like rarity that. that demands playing. It takes place at night, but really, it's night light. All hexes are illuminated, so that eliminates a good portion of the night rules. The main things you'll have to remember are the route and rally restrictions, no multi-location fire groups at the night, and the plus one LV hindrance. Ah, I've never played one of those, night light rules. Yeah, it's just got about half of the rules instead of the full set of them. And then so you don't need to use the star shells? Penalty, the, yeah. If everything's illuminated, yeah. it helps a lot. Yeah. And it looks like a seaborne assault, as it you can does, tell from the yeah. picture. It does, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. Well, I, I guess I've seen the overlays, but I haven't seen yeah, these scenarios at all. Desert overlays with then buildings on top of yeah. them on an ocean board. Wow. To be the flooded landscape. But it's not a seaborne assault. And the basic... Ocean rules are simple on this also. You don't have to get freaked out like you can't handle all the rules. Waiting rules would be important. Yeah. And uh, that's about it. So there is waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not that deep. And there's probably not current involved, I'm guessing, right. in these. Yeah. Right. Right. Lots of different things. And so then he goes, of course, the usual analysis. He'll do the German advantages here. During the first few turns, the main German task will be to kill the Canadians and their vehicles or as they unload because they're coming in all loaded up on these ducks or buffaloes. Oh, buffaloes, okay. Yeah, when you were talking about ducks and buffaloes, I was suddenly thinking (laughs) of Wild Kingdom. Yeah. Sorry, I got lost there. Was the buffalo an American vehicle? I'm guessing so. Why would they call it the uh, ducks buffalo? Were, well, yeah. no, I guess there are African water buffaloes and things. But it's not an African vehicle, obviously. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, now the defenders do get the hip, hip and concealment because it's night. Germans mm. have nine squad equivalents. They get nine dummies to use and that kind of thing. So he's just talking about using those advantages. He recommends like the seven O's can create half squads to hide in the upper levels. On these buildings, on this island now. Ah, okay. And I'm guessing, you know, you got to knock them all out there. So uh, the main task of these is to, uh, the four three sixes and four four seven German squads is to hunker down and hold out as long as possible. Could slow the Canadians down by forming a wall of bodies and force the attackers to assault move to strip concealment. Do you lose your, use your <clears throat> deployment rules as often as you should? No, personally, I okay. do not. Is that going to be one of your... Yes. Uh, resolutions for 2017. Let's make that one. Shall yeah, that's we? a achie- seems achievable. 
Not too challenging. Okay, that's it. No, Dave is going to deploy in 2017. That's yeah. the year of deployment. It's not a, a rules you have to master. That's just remembering to do it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then he breaks down the types of guns used on these vehicles and how to knock them out. Um, goes over the German disadvantages, of course, like... Uh, they have the Panzerfaust, positive, but conscripts reduce the breakdown numbers of these things. Now, do we oh. remember that? No. Conscripts reduce the B and X number of all support weapons, including oh, by uh, one. No. Well, I know we've I, talked about that before. We, now it's coming back to me, but I don't But then how often do you give your conscript one of the weapons? If you have yeah, other you, choices. Usually I just run them out in the open to draw fire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to admit, I have to admit, I do that. Because uh, I don't know their names, and so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, don't they know also them personally. They also suffer disadvantages in ambush and close combat. Yeah, and that I remember. Right. That stuff, yeah. So, and That's he looks at the Canadians. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good way to try and get ashore with this game for the Canucks is the armored assault with the buffaloes from the shallow ocean. Okay, so I you probably get a plus one something protection from. The vehicles, like normal. From the vehicles, And they yeah. can wade through there. Yeah. Uh, for example, some squads could throw smoke grenades before others' armored assault move into it. Well, not in the water, you can't. No. Or empty buffaloes could also move into bypass of German positions, imposing triple-point blank fire. Hmm. Like we know to do with vehicles, right? Yeah. Um, Is that a sleaze tactic tactic? That's what they that call point? it, by, yeah. by, bypass freeze. They can armored assault with the waiting guys. That's good. Yeah. They can fire smoke dischargers in the water. Oh, okay. the vehicle note. Maybe the buffaloes have smoke dischargers, which would be great. But it yeah. can't land in the water, right? It has to well, I think has it to comes, land on land. Um, <clears throat> unless they have smoke. Well, let me, let me think now. Smoke, smoke can't go into Oh, I'm water. thinking of smoke dispenser, which would be is in hex. In hex. Yeah. But this says smoke discharger. Right. So this would launch hmm. out a couple yeah, of Yeah, I don't know how that works. That would require some research. And he reminds you, you got armament on these vehicles. I'm getting out Chapter H. Oh, the Buffalo is a British vehicle. Canadian can consider shooting the armament at, only at point blank or triple point blank, where they're very useful. You could unload directly into buildings from bypass. How often do you think about that? You can what? Sorry, what? Unload directly into buildings from bypass. Oh, wow. Hmm. Although this seems risky versus non-dummies. Before the vehicles unload, they'll have to survive triple point blank fire, light anti-tank weapons, and possible reaction fire. And he does say time is a reason to enter all the amphibians on turn one. You could keep some off board, but he does not recommend it. And that wraps up that article. Here, I'll just read from Chapter H about the buffalo. There's two. There's a Buffalo Mark 2A and a Buffalo 4 Mark A. These were the U.S. LVT-2 and LVT-4, respectively, most used in British service. They were only partially armored, but many were uparmed with a 20mm gun. In NWE, they were under the... NWE? Uh, they were under the command North, of the... North, Northwest Europe? Yeah. yeah, they were under the command of the 79th Armored Division and were first committed to action with the 5th Assault Regiment Royal Engineers and the 11th RTR during operations around the Scheldt Estuary. By 1945, some 600 were available, and they figured prominently in the Battle of the Reichswald and the Crossing of the Rhine. Near the ward's end, buffaloes were also used in Italy, being referred to as fantails in that theater. In the PTO, U.S.-type LVT were used by the Australians during their assault landings on Borneo. A Buffalo troop contained six such vehicles. So these are partially armored AFVs with armor only on their front target facing. Uh, I'm reading the star notes now and the cross notes. The uh, anti-aircraft machine gun consists of two four-firepower U.S. machine guns. Each has the exact same field of fire as its counterpart on the U.S. LVT-4. Each anti-aircraft machine gun malfunctions and is repaired or disabled independently of the other. When both anti-aircraft machine guns are malfunctioned, mark the AFE with an AAMG malfunction counter. However, if only one malfunctions, mark the AFV with one AAMG malfunction counter, 
Thereafter, in each friendly fire phase in which the AMG is not repaired, the remaining functioning AAMG may fire only in its allotted direction or in the malfunctioned only in its own allotted direction or in the malfunctioned AAMG's direction at no extra penalty. Now it can fire across the vehicle, so they have oh okay. So when they're both separate in covered use, arcs, yes, yeah, they have separate covered arcs. When only one is in use. It it has a larger covered arc. Yes, because he's not shooting at the crew in the uh, other side. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Because I was wondering because I saw that diagram sitting across the table. I was wondering why they bothered to put that in there, but there it is. A Buffalo's smoke dispenser. Let's see that SD, S big D. That's the smoke dispenser. Yeah. Can place smoke in water locations. Smoke can. Yeah. Or most smoke discharger. Wow. I'm, now I'm oh, right. freaking out. Yeah. I forget if the dispenser's all of them yeah. and then the discharger's the specific one yeah. or if it's the... It can place smoke in water. In water location. Yep. And the bog... Uh, just interesting. The bog die roll modifier for ground specified as soft, mud, or snow covered does you not must? apply to a buffalo. Yeah. Okay. okay apparently they're very amphibious. good all-terrain vehicles. Yeah. They have a three amphibious movement point for in the water. Yeah. And a 12 on land. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've not seen these counters before. There's uh, Fascinating little vehicle. Yes. And that well, finishes that up that, that article. Some fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jeff, Jeff, are you ready to go to Mayhem in Manila? I sure am, Dave. I've got my bags packed. I've got my passport and my hat. Do you have your OBA cards? No, I don't. How would I get some? Why, you'd have to go to Ritterkrieg and order some. Ritterkrieg? I don't know anything about it. Tell me. Well, this is the great online store of ASL equipment. ASL wooden gaming products like dice towers, custom-made tabletops, an ammo box map and map case, and all kinds of ASL products. You can order yours today and have it shipped to Mayhem in Manila. I wow. I'm going to get all that stuff. I know what I'll do. I'll tell my wife I can't afford to take her. But I'll take all my Ritter stuff with me. But Jeff, you might be able to take her because a donor has donated our air flight <laughs> to Asia. Sweet. All right, then this is the best thing that could happen. I can take my wife. I can take all my Ritter Krieg equipment. And we're going to Mayhem Mayhem in Manila. Manila. And these OBA cards aren't the crappy kind that we sold on our podcast. No. These are those really cool quality ASL OBA cards. It's a gigantic deck of cards that you can use for all of your OBA requirements. All of your OBA requirements. And you know what makes ordering from Ritterkrieg the best option for any pre-orders? Tell me. They have free shipping. (gasps) Impossible. Take that, MMP. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So, how do we get to uh, order this Ritter Krieg stuff? Well, you simply go to Ritterkrieg.com, R-I-T-T-E-R-K-R-I-E-G.com. I'm heading there right now. See you in Manila, Dave. See you in Manila. Well, we could just go on and on and on and talk about buffaloes and crocodiles and alligators and all sorts of things. Yeah, but that gets us about but... halfway through this magazine, so yeah. we could finish it next show. Did yeah, you I think do we the should. poor bloody infantry analysis of Riley's Road campaign game? No, simply because no. Well, we should probably just cover it real quick now and then. Okay. It's um, just basically, again, we don't want to. You know, it's by Oliver Giancola, and he had done the previous article also on the scenario analysis with using the ducks and the buffalo. So again, you'll okay. find some some good tactics and tips about where specific to the game, and other ones that would be more gen- general things too, and how to approach any kind of battle that uses the same vehicles and and things like that. So he gives the German strategy on the offense and defense too, as well. So. And that would get us to the Senta, and we will do that next time. Okay, very good. Give people something to look forward to. Can't, you got to keep them wanting more, Dave. Yep. Got to. 
So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you can stand the suspense. Until next time. Until we remain next time. we remain yours, the two half squads. Loyal ears. Yes. Happy holidays and all that. Happy New Year to everybody. We're looking forward to seeing you next year where we're gonna have a hundred new episodes and lots of free giveaways <laughs> yeah. and and Dave's gonna deploy. <laughs> all right, bye bye everyone. Bye. Re- oh remember to roll low. Oh, and rally well. And deploy. But, but not, not when, when you're playing, playing us. Up. Bye. Goodbye. The buffaloes. Oh, oh give me a home where the ducks and duffaloes and the alligators and the Anzac people play. play.